Hey everyone, this is Eric Kennedy, and welcome to Buckhalter's Automated and Intelligent Systems podcast. I'm a shareholder in Buckhalter's Los Angeles office and a commercial litigator with a specific interest and focus on autonomous vehicle practice, including litigation and regulatory practice. And I have with me here today my colleague Danielle Mayer, who's also in our Los Angeles office. Hey everyone, Danielle Mayer. I'm an associate in the Los Angeles office. I primarily work in commercial litigation and I'm currently turning my focus to autonomous vehicles. So we're missing today our other co-host and uh, with me the co-chair of Buckalter's Autonomous and Intelligent Systems Practice Group, Paul Freidenberg. So we'll excuse him today and we look forward to him joining us for the next episode, which would be episode three. This is our second episode In our first episode, we talked about the current regulatory framework for autonomous vehicles. And um, in this episode, we have a few things that we want to accomplish. But before we get to those, I thought we might take a step back and talk a little bit about Buckalter generally. For those of you who are not familiar with the firm, we've been around for quite a while, established in Los Angeles back in 1933. And since then, we have grown to a firm of a about 300 lawyers, and we got to that number actually today as we announced our um, acquisition of the Aderwin group out of Portland, Oregon, which added about 22 lawyers to Buckhalter's roster and also added our ninth office. So now we are in Portland, Seattle, Sacramento, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Napa, Orange County, San Diego, and Scottsdale. So we have uh, extended our West Coast footprint, and that's very exciting news. We're super happy to have the Aderwin folks joining us and look forward to working together with them. So to get back to our podcast today, I think we want to accomplish two or three things, maybe more than that, maybe less. The first thing we want to talk about, and this is kind of a very basic issue, but it's, it's something that we should lay the framework and the groundwork for going forward, because I think we're going to be referring to this issue in different podcasts, maybe throughout. Um, and that is explaining, at least in a summary fashion, the various levels of vehicle autonomy. Then we also want to talk about the current state of autonomous vehicle deployment in the United States. And, uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about some of the challenges that we're facing in establishing a consistent federal regulatory framework. So to start off with the first issue, there's some great articles out that uh, get into the details of the various levels of vehicle autonomy. I'm going to refer to at least one, which is from synopsis.com. And the way that this started was, SAE, which is the Society of Automotive Engineers, decided to define uh, three or actually no, four to five levels of autonomy. And over the course of the last few years, there has been some adjustments um, based on input from different organizations, including NHTSA and others, to um, sort of fine tune those levels of autonomy a little bit. And so let me talk about what they are. And I'm going to use um, the this, this synopsis article to kind of guide us along. So the first level is actually known as level zero. 
and that is no automation at all. So the manual control is in the hands of the human being who performs all functions for the driving tasks. So you can think of that in terms of kind of your standard car, maybe older cars, because those cars come out nowadays, many if not most have some level of autonomy. The second level of autonomy is level one, and that is a, a driver assistance level. And so the vehicle performs um, some features of limited autonomy, uh, maybe monitoring cruise control, um, maybe helping with braking. So adaptive cruise control is, is probably the most well-known level one autonomy. Then we have level two, which is where the vehicle is in partial driving automation. And this means that with driver assistance, the vehicle can control both the steering and acceleration and deceleration. And uh, here it, it fall, falls short of self-driving because the human is still sitting in the driver's seat and can take control and must take control at any time. But the, the car is doing a lot more of the driving. And the best example of this is probably Tesla's autopilot. There is a little bit of debate about whether Tesla's autopilot qualifies as level two autonomy or level three autonomy. It's at least level two and maybe gets into level three. Um, Tesla, as many of you know, recently announced that it's making its fully autonomous software and hardware available. Uh, it's not yet available, but for those who own Teslas, they have already been able to purchase that, and that should be rolling out fairly soon. Whether that is level three or level four or level five remains to be seen, but I think what Tesla is targeting for that software is level four autonomy. Level three known as conditional driving autonomy, is where the vehicle has the ability to detect what's going on in the environment and make adjustments on its own. It still requires human override and human participation, but it's taking more of the driving. And the best example of that is Audi's new A8, which hasn't been released yet because in many places, level three autonomy is not legal, but, it will, but the car does have the capacity. Level four is high driving automation. The key difference between level three and level four is that a level four vehicle can intervene if things are going wrong or there's a system failure. So in this case, human interaction is not required in most circumstances, but there is an ability for the human to override. And then we get to, oh, and by the way, the best example of that is probably Waymo recently unveiled a level four self-driving service in Arizona uh, without a driver in the seat and has been testing that. I guess it hasn't been that recent because they've got 10 million miles of testing already under their belt. Level five is full autonomy that requires no human attention and is basically what I wrote in during the last autonomous vehicle conference, vehicle conference I attended in Orlando, which was a shuttle that... Um, took us around the parking lot and there was no driver, not even a driver's seat. We just sat in what was essentially a, a box with four wheels. And it was able to, um, to navigate what was a, a preordained path. So those are the different levels of autonomy. There's six of them if you include zero. And um, the next question then becomes, how are these levels of autonomy being deployed? And um, I'm sorry, Danielle, I keep talking. <laughs> I'm sure you have a lot to say here, but let me, just, let me just say one last thing and then you can chime in. 
Right now, the centers of testing for the higher levels of vehicle autonomy are Arizona, California, um, for sure. Those are the two biggest areas. And, and there's probably a reason for that, a couple of reasons. The obvious reasons are, number one, for Arizona, it's got such consistent and predictable weather patterns that it makes it easier to test the autonomy without and, and to control for the variables. And in California, I think obviously makes sense because it's the center of, or at least the accepted center of the autonomous vehicle technology. So it makes sense that those two would sort of be leading the charge. But there's also autonomous testing going on in Florida, Georgia, Michigan, North Carolina, and Ohio. Most states allow some sort of self-driving testing with a safety driver involved. There are a few that don't allow it, don't have specific allowances in terms of self-driving car laws or executive orders. But, um, but the majority of the states in the union either explicitly allow it and, and are moving towards even additional allowances in that regard. Okay, so with that uh, riveting summary of the various levels of autonomy and, uh, and a very broad overview of what is going on in terms of deployment, before I turn it over to Danielle to offer some of her insights, I just want to note how interesting it is as we consider the implementation of autonomous vehicles, the impact that it's having on the industry generally, and how, as you will do your own research and see that it is encouraging, if not forcing, others who consider themselves competitors to join hands in an effort to increase their own footprint and to develop technology and implementation procedures because at least from my perspective, the manufacturers and those who support the manufacturers in the autonomous vehicle future realize that that future is indeed very bright and everyone wants to have some sort of a, a place in line. And in fact, non-traditional players are getting involved, including Amazon and Apple and others. They've all got their own reasons for doing it. Um, Amazon obviously is focused more on the shipping side and, and what autonomous technology provides from that perspective. But you're also seeing lots of, of joining of hands, um, and that's exciting. And I think that's going to make it more and more likely that we're going to see more widespread implementation sooner than later. So on that note, uh, the future is bright, but we're going to probably be seeing some sort of act on the part of Congress, and that brings up a good issue that there are going to be issues between how Congress acts and the states act. Um, traditionally, the federal government regulates vehicle design, while states and local government regulate driver behavior. But as we all know, that kind of creates an interesting dynamic because the vehicle for an autonomous vehicle becomes the driver. So it's important that state and local governments have the authority to kind of manage the operation of vehicles on the road, but that also speaks to Congress's need to act. And so just a little overview, prior efforts in Congress have failed to pass any AV legislation. Um, the Senate Commerce Committee advanced the American vision for safer transportation through advancement of revolutionary technologies, AV START Act for short, in 2017. That bill died after the full chamber failed to take it up in December 2018. 
This was apparently in part due to concerns about privacy, safety, and cybersecurity issues. So some of the safety issues are creating safety standards across the board for issues such as do we need a, a steering wheel? Do we need brakes? How do we regulate within the current system? There's discussion of AV vehicles getting kind of, I guess, passes through the regulatory system to provide these new car designs. But one of the issues is NHTSA and the various uh, transportation agencies are going to need to work together on that. So another bill that was also going through Congress, it had passed the House without opposition. It was called the Safely Ensuring Lives Future Deployment and Research in Vehicle Evolution Self-Drive Act. But it died in the Senate and there were some Democrats worried about these different issues. Uh, One of the big issues was the issue of arbitration. The bill required anyone injured in a vehicle accident to arbitrate their claims rather than uh, provide court litigation. Um, Another would be obviously cybersecurity. We have an issue with cybersecurity in this day and age, so the idea was to bolster protections for cybersecurity and privacy. Um, One, another issue that Congress wants the bill to require is that there is data sharing to promote safety and efficiency. So the idea that the autonomous vehicles are sharing um, crash information, failure information with the transportation authorities so that we can see discussion between them because there's going to be a lot in flux between, you know, we have cars, we've had cars on the road for a long time and we know how they work, but with the autonomous vehicles, um, there's a lot of variables, and that goes back to Eric's discussion of Arizona having very consistent weather when we start seeing cars in places where the weather is inconsistent or you have a lot of road construction, things like that. There's going to be a lot of issues. So it looks like Congress will be taking these issues up uh, this next term. Uh, the first week of August, they asked a lot of stakeholders in the autonomous vehicle space to comment on input for a new bill to be passed. And so all that input was due just back in August, on August 23rd. So the hope is that, you know, we're just here in early September and we'll start seeing some movement. That way we can can compete on the world stage for these vehicles. There's no reason the United States can't be a leader in this technology. Yeah, that's a great segue, by the way, to what I think we want to talk about in in the next episode, which is to briefly summarize and discuss where the United States currently stands in terms of global, uh, the, the global autonomous vehicle picture. And just as a spoiler alert, we are not number one, um, as some, some may think, because we do lead in lots of categories, including technology. One of the categories that we suffer in is a regulatory framework, which impacts our overall global ranking. But it's a really interesting issue to address. And I think, uh, I think we'll take that up when we go, when we go next episode. Um, and then to get to a couple of the points that, that Danielle was making, and just to kind of summarize, the, it's interesting that as legislatures have asked for stakeholders to weigh in, they're asking for it in a fairly specific way, which is in terms of design and safety. And what I mean by that is the Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards, which we call the FMV, 
SS, which were established largely decades ago, took into account design features for vehicles generally. And they say things like, this is where you put the steering wheel, and this is where you put the gas pedal, and here's where the side view mirror needs to be. And for the most part, when it comes to autonomous vehicles, and specifically fully autonomous vehicles, a lot of that information and a lot of those requirements are completely out of date. And so that leaves manufacturers in a weird place because they're trying to create these fully autonomous vehicles and to be efficient and to save costs and and to create new and creative and practical designs. And if there's a federal motor vehicle safety standard that requires a steering wheel in a car that doesn't have a driver, you can obviously see that there's a contradiction there. And so that's where the legislature has asked for stakeholders to to weigh in um, on some of those standards with the hope that those standards can be updated to account for the new technology. So with that said, we look forward to um, episode number three, where we'll dive into the global framework and where the United States stands, what our strengths and weaknesses are, and maybe talk about some of the ways that we can address those. Thank you for listening. We're excited about this podcast, excited about Buckhalter's good news with joining of our Portland office. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys.